what it's doing and women who respond to the drugs say like, oh, I had a fantasy. I, haven't, I can't remember the last time I just had a spontaneous fantasy. Welcome to another episode of The Empire Show. My name is Bedros Koulian, and you're in for a special treat because this is an inside look into the life and business of another massively successful entrepreneur. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Cindy Eckert. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. To the show. Yeah, great having yes, you. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Now, you've actually exited out of two companies. I have. And... Um, they're not technology companies, they're not necessarily coaching companies, they're not real estate. You're right. in a very weird, different, some people might complicated, some people might even call it taboo mm -hmm. space. Yeah. Want to tell us what it is? Yeah, sex. Sex. <laughs> Irish Catholic girl, that's got to be where I went. So I'm in the field of sexual medicine. Mm -hmm. Who knew that that was really a field? There's actually a sexual medicine society of which I'm a card-carrying member, which makes me really popular at cocktail parties. I'm sure. <laughs> I, I'm sure. Um, you know, in truth, I'm in the, the healthcare arena, deeply passionate about women's health in particular, and have taken on subjects where everybody else has run away. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm very grateful, first of all, for having you here. And the reason for that, Cindy, is because one thing I hear often is, Pedros, you need more, more, more women on yeah. your show. Yeah. Guess who's the first to admit that? Me. Mm -hmm. The reality is there's a lot more male entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And so when we find awesome and amazing female entrepreneurs who are willing to come on the show and yeah. share with us, or our annual event, the Empire Business Summit, who are willing to get up on stage and sure. share, to me that's huge because, listen, I don't know a lot of male entrepreneurs who are beating their chest out there on social media doing a billion dollar exit. Ooh. Thank you. Right? Yeah, that's right. So, guys and gals, listen up. If you're watching this on YouTube or listening to this on the uh, the old iTunes there, just one of her exits was a billion-dollar exit. So we've got a lot to learn here, so let's do the deep dive cool. and get going. A, uh, a Catholic Irish girl <laughs> turned... Of course I had to lead with that. My parents yeah, would yeah. like, That was a great hook. You, why are you yeah, doing that again? You hooked me. So, so just <laughs> tell, tell us about how you kind of... Started. You don't have to start where you know Catholic school or whatever, yeah, but yeah. you might want to start off on how do you even find this industry? Well, I'll tell you. So I found the industry because I've always loved what makes certain businesses more successful than others, and I think I was a student of that from a very young age. And I had a business professor, undergrad, but as I was going through college, who I think really saw that in me. So she'd give me all these like side projects, like I have to go read Fast Company or Inc. or whatever it may be. And in that process, I made a decision, I'm going to go work for Fortune's Most Admired Company. That was it. Whoever it is, I'm going to go learn from the best. Really? And at the time, it happened to be Merck Pharmaceuticals. Like, it could have been anyone. It could have been right. IBM. It could have been, like, you know, back when, whoever it could have been. So the intention wasn't in the industry. The intention was to go learn from the best. And what happened, I got there, and I fell in love with what happened. I fell in love with the science and the real difference that you can make in people's lives. So this is interesting to me because um, I'm not a big believer that someone's path is predestined. Yeah. I'm a believer that you control your own path sure. and you know there's karmic debt to be paid if you're yeah. an asshole in society, <laughs> et cetera. Yeah. Like you get to decide how your life unfolds. Right. Am I hearing you say that had the top company been in the technology space, oh, yeah. that you might have gone that way? Absolutely. And it seems like you're a very creative person. You're 
designed to solve problems. Yeah. I can tell that already yeah. about you. You would have found a problem like you. You could have been at Apple and we would have had a different iPhone right now. Could be. Right. Hi, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean that. Yeah. Isn't that I think it was. It's. And I'll tell you. You I think about my that. I've thought a lot about, because you know, now I'm asked, like, what is it? And you don't, you sort of go through it, and I don't know that I was quite so reflective. Um, I was just jumping toward things that really pushed me, and I was inherently very curious. And I think that was cultivated from a very unusual upbringing that now, in hindsight, I realize was sort of wiring those traits in. So I started from upstate New York. Like total blue collar town. Where? What um, part of Rochester? Rochester. Really cold. Like the kid bundled up at the bus stop, and my dad came home one day and he said, "Hey, do you want to go to Fiji?" Now I want everybody to know this is before like Fiji water and fancy resorts. Like nobody knew what Fiji sure. was. How old were you at the time? Um, so we I was in the fourth grade. Fourth so, grade. So nine years old. Okay. And I can remember like I went to the Globe in the living room, was looking for Fiji, never heard other side of the world, came in and was like. That'd be fun, and he goes, "Great, because we're moving there." And I moved from Rochester, New York, to the Fiji Islands when I was nine years old. And you want to talk about major shock? Holy smokes! Um, and a totally different, eye-opening experience. I went from there, and every year from the fourth grade through my senior year of high school, I moved, which started to not only expose me to totally different perspectives all the time, helping my ability to adapt. But I think it got me really comfortable with uncomfortable, and I think that's why I've taken on things that other people have run away from. Was this a job move for your dad? Total adventurer, but yes. So he is, you know, it was perfect. I mean, that's a big move. Yeah, no doubt. State Department went to the Fiji Islands, like just fascinating and so good for me. Fiji didn't have television until the 1990s. So just imagine, I'm a little girl. I come back to the U.S. I haven't seen TV for like two and a half years. I'm the complete misfit. Sure. It like dropped on the island and then plucked back. And that was in. my next question. So it was a two and a half year. Two and a half stay year there. stint there, yeah. So just as you're probably acclimating, oh yeah, getting like known, making friends. Sure. Hey, now we're going back to Rochester. Yes. Yeah. Really. Moved back to Rochester, then moved to D.C., moved to Italy. Like we bounced all over the place. Yeah. So here, yeah. here's something interesting about upstate New York that I know. Does Buffalo count as upstate New York? Yeah, of course. Okay. All right. So here I went we are. to Bills games when I was little. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I'm originally from the Soviet Union, Armenia. Six years old when we escaped and came here. Um, decided that I want to lift weights and get big because I was tired of being a fat kid. I'll tell you why this is all important. I started off as a personal trainer in this LA fitness in Huntington Beach, California, uh, probably 21, 22 years old. Yeah. And I meet this guy, and this is the first time I'd heard a kind of an upstate New York accent, which is different than <laughs> totally. like Manhattan right. New York accent. Of course. Yeah. And I meet, and he was just such a jacked big guy, and I was like, holy smokes, his yeah. name is Michelangelo Botticelli. <laughs> That's great. Right? He was my neighbor, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. And, um, you know, we meet, and I'm like, holy cow, do you look at all the muscles you have? And I'm a personal trainer here. He goes, well, so am I, because he was working out, so he didn't have the yeah. personal trainer polo shirt on. But anyway, so we hit it off, and uh, he, he, the first joke he told me, because he was just always cracking jokes, he goes, he goes, he goes Pedro, uh, there's a time change between here in California and Buffalo, New York. And I was like, you know, in my head, I'm doing, oh, well, yeah, New yeah. York, three hours. He <laughs> goes, do you want to know what, and he looked at his watch, and he goes, it's 11.30 here. And it's 1987 in Buffalo. <laughs> and that's, that's all that's I knew great. about Buffalo, New York. That's and he would tell great. me how everything's just kind of old and archaic yeah. and people are yeah. just working in factories. 
Uh, interestingly enough, the wife and I took the kids to, um, what's that big, the waterfalls there? The, Niagara Falls. Niagara Falls, yeah, thank you. sure. Niagara Falls, and we went through Buffalo, I, I, I mean, it was a couple years ago. Yeah. Beautiful yeah, it place is. now. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> so that's the only connection I had for so many sure. years when people say upstate New York and I would just think like it's 1987. So there. funny. Yeah. So that was Truly, the Truly like the town that I was in was like your parents worked in the factory and it, you know, it went from being this incredible bastion of technology once upon a time to a really depressed economy, mm. but such a great like and beautiful part of the country. Never mind like you grew up and you knew like every family on the street and oh, it had sure. that sort of small town you know, um, wonderful foundation in childhood. So you've got this uh, professor who sees something in you. Yeah. And she starts kind of giving you this additional tasks. Yeah. Read this. It just felt like extra work at the time, but now yeah. I know what her master, like okay. her master plan was. Do you happen to keep in touch with her? She's passed away, oh, which is yeah. I'm so yeah. sad because I'd love for her to see the right? work that I do today in the pink ceiling and other female entrepreneurs and getting them there. Um, it's funny how you have those people who are such instrumental, yeah. you know. So I recently, uh, two weeks ago, I interviewed my mentor, Jim Franco. He's 76 years old Aww. now. And I had modeled, so I was his personal trainer. Mm -hmm. And so as a, when you're working with a personal trainer in between sets while he's resting, I would ask questions. Sure. I would see that he was well to do. And um, so he mentored me throughout the years. He loaned me money for my first little personal training studio that I opened. And uh, today, ironically, like my company makes a lot more than his. And he's one of the handful of guys that I know yeah. who's not jealous. He's like just so proud of, of me. Course. And so it was so neat. And I talk about him in my book and on the podcast. So it was neat to have Jim here. And we took a walk down memory lane. So I was just wondering yeah. if your professor, man, imagine how proud she would be, right? Yeah. Yeah. So she kind of says, hey, you know, do this and read that. And you decide you make the decision that I'm going to work for one of the top companies at the time, yeah. which was Merck Pharmaceutical. Yes. And you get in there and you do what kind of work? Sales. Sales. Why sales? Are you good at it or they, that's, that's what they where needed? You start. That's where you start. Everybody so starts that was sales. like get into sales and work your way up. And uh, I have to say that to everyone that I, uh, that I mentor today, right? Like if you want to do something, go sell something. Can I ask you a question real quick? Yeah. We're going to deviate, but the sure. audience knows where I'm going with okay. this and you'll see in a moment. Are you living your purpose right now? Yes. You are? Yes. Like you didn't even hesitate. You said yes. Yes. Great. When you got into Merck, was there a little bit of like doubt and trepidation? Like, I don't know if I belong here, if I'm going to be good in sales? Always. There was, right? Yeah, of course. But you did I it anyway. Have that, I have that every day. Like when I start sure. something new, right? A Guys. little bit of doubt and oh a little God. bit of trepidation. Yeah. Like I don't. I think if you actually woke up tomorrow and thought you knew everything, it would be the most boring day sure. in the world, right? Life is so not like, supposed to be predictable. Absolutely not. Here's why. Everywhere I go and speak, or after almost every podcast, we'll get ten or fifteen messages on this one thing. Yeah. But Bader's, I don't know how to find my purpose. Right. And I always tell them it's not lost. It's that's, something that you're going to find. It's something you're going to develop. That's right. Here you were, you just made the decision that I'm going to go find whatever, it was a Fortune 100 company, the top company, and work there, and you yep. did. Mm -hmm. Clearly had no sales background nope. coming out of college. That's right. And, but that's where everybody starts at Merck, sure. and that's where you started. And I asked you, are you living your purpose? You said yes, because in that time you developed your purpose versus yeah. spending a decade or two, like most people do, wandering around looking for yeah. their purpose like it's lost. I I got to tell you, so my thought of that, and I, I get that all the time from people as well, like they look and they go, well, it seems so obvious to you. It absolutely was not obvious to me. The only right. thing that was obvious to me was that I was on a path of learning. 
and I wanted to learn from the best. And learning from the best informed the next step or the next step. And I think that you know, if the ultimate destination is success, however you may define that, success doesn't come from having all the answers up front. You will never have that. It comes from having the courage to go for it. Sure. And again, I think that's the difference is we wait. And you know, if you wait in anticipation of the perfect plan or this lightning strikes from somewhere, you're going to be sitting on the sidelines your whole life. Hmm. So much truth to that. So you start off in sales then. Yes. How long before you make that next move within Merck? Four years. Four years. And my move was out of Merck. Oh, really? Yeah. So, so it was sales the whole time? Sales the whole time. And I, the, the aha moment in there was, I love this industry for what it could do. Didn't necessarily love how they got it done. And in that sense, it was just like, I didn't fit in big. Nobody was listening to me. I have two big brothers. They will tell you that is a problem if nobody's going to listen to my ideas. Are you the baby of the family? I am. You are. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going somewhere where I'm going to be heard. Never mind. I'm going to go somewhere where I have skin in the game. So I have a big brother at the time. He's in a dot-com startup. Um, I'm watching what he's doing. He's constantly pushed to try new things. What year are we in now? Uh, we're in, <clears throat> what year are we in right now? Early 90s. Okay. So, and you know, it's right there in that boom, um, and they're gonna IPO. And he's telling me like, I'm like, what does that mean, right? Like you're gonna go public. And there was a friends and family round where I could invest. Well, I had no money. Hmm. So I ate rice every day, like for a year, Attica. for a buck a day, and I would like put everything aside and like this tiny little bit I could. I invested when they went out, I made money, and I was like, buy, buy corporate. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to startups. I'm going to have skin in the game for the value that I create. So I went from Merck to a very small, sort of innovative uh, company and chased innovation from that point forward till I started it for my own. But you invested money that you saved up for how long? Uh, about a year. About a year, eating, yeah. eating rice. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, you found the cheapest food because we watch Survivor. My family and I watch Survivor, yeah. and everyone gets about eight ounces of rice yeah. once a week, yeah. and that's it because it's cheap and yes. you could live off of it. Yeah, for sure. So, guys, I want to, again, I'm highlighting the points here for you because I want you to see the cost of success. And the cost of success is you do whatever you need to. Of course. Eat rice for a yeah. year and quit a sales job where you were probably making good commission. Mm -hmm. Uh, were we yeah. close to six figures maybe in commission? Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And so in that time, hey, not bad at all. Oh, no. I thought I might just live in large. I had a car allowance. I was like, whoa. Right? You know, when I was young, absolutely. But still, there's something bigger I was So you make the sacrifice by yeah. saying, I'm going to save every penny I can. I'm going to yeah. eat rice for a whole year. You take the risk by quitting a secure job. Merck's right? still around. They weren't going anywhere. You no, know that. absolutely not. And you go, I'm going to take this risk where my big brother is. And yeah. he says, we're doing this friends and family round. And most IPOs tank. Right, for sure. So it's not like the odds were in your favor. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No question. Yeah, but it was the go for it, right? You've got to go for it. And I went, when I went for Merck, I went to this other, this co small company, and I can remember the first day I got on the job, um, Merck was having a big meeting. You know, they put on these incredible, like, lavish um, meetings. All the salespeople were there. And I'm sitting out in California at this small startup, and I'm looking around, and all my friends are calling me like, Where'd you go? Because they felt like, you know, they were the elitist. They sure. were in the best company. And I did have this moment like, what did I do? And the truth is, I showed up the next day. They were my kind of people. And I knew I had found the right home in a smaller environment. And I never looked back. It was the best Good thing ever. Good for did. you. So it's an environment of, of, of 
innovation. Yes. One thing you know about yourself from the get-go is that you're an innovative person. I'm guessing you just organically look at things and how can I make it better, different, what's yeah. missing, is there a vacuum to be filled? I think I'm just a builder. Like I want to find, sure. to get my, roll up my sleeves and, and do that and I'm a learner. Like I want to be pushed. I'm competitive. Like right. go make me play against my personal best. I've never done that before. I want to try it. Um, so I think that's really what was happening Good in this smaller environment. So how long do you last there in that uh, small technology company? Um, so, I, so I lasted there for uh, a few years, and then I made a move where they actually got bought. I've actually, my sort of career-defining uh, moment there, they were acquired, this company, and then they put all these different companies together, and I got to be part of the integration team that decided, like, these are the products we're gonna keep, these are the products we're gonna get rid of, and it was like the lesson of how do you build it from scratch. Um, so I got that, and then once I did that, I'm like, I can do that for myself now. Okay, I'm gonna stop you there again. <laughs> you just keep coming up with more lessons, and so we have to highlight every lesson yeah. you come up with. You kind of brush over. He said, and I got to be part of this team, this integration team. Yeah. I'm guessing there was a lot of people they could have chose from. Sure. But you were chosen. Sure. And I've got a big company upstairs. We've got a lot of people. Sure. There's only a small handful that I look at who can be integrators yeah. and actually move the needle. The rest are just kind of worker ants yeah. who unfortunately, because of their doing, could be replaced. Right. Simply. Right. And there are others who simply cannot or would cost us For a sure. lot to replace them. Yeah. You were one of those people. What made you stand out to the person who decided, as, as things are merging, that we're gonna select you as to be on this integration team? No question the commitment, right, to, to, to be part of it and the constant raising of my hand. Like, I'm the one who's going, pick me, mm. I'll do it, I'll try it, give it to me. Extra work, sure, got it. And, uh, and I think that's really it, is asking for it. I can remember my first day in sales uh, and I talk to kids that graduate about this today. They're like, what do you do? You know, I think when you come out of school, you've probably never been in a corporate environment, and you go in and you sort of sit quietly and watch. Like, you're just learning it. And as opposed to doing that, the first day I walked in and I said, I want to be number one. Will you help me be number one? Tell me what I need to do. I didn't know what I needed to do. It was my first day. But I think declaring it is really what always got me the opportunity. Like, that was what I wanted to do. Yeah. When I said that's what I wanted to do, well, then people would help me get there. Sure. You had another great lesson. Declare what you want. Declare it out loud. People uh, around you are willing to help. That's right. Number two, you constantly took the risk and raised your hand. Yep. You got off the bleachers and got on the field. For sure. How many people right now, no matter where you're at, if you're at a Starbucks and you're listening to this, or you're mid-level management, you're C-level management, you want to get to, to upper leader, leadership, you're sitting on the sidelines watching instead of raising your hand, volunteering because you're afraid to have the spotlight on you, but get on the fucking field and Amen. play, folks. That's right. Good for you. Wow, I'm so excited. Okay, let, let, let's keep going. So there you are. At, at some point, you, you end up thinking that maybe I'm just meant to be an entrepreneur. Yes. So you're integrating companies yeah. and together, but at some point something clicks. Well, you know what? I was going through this path. I was learning. And I thought, and I was very privileged. Like I was around really smart people, hardworking people. But then you get to a point and you go, well, they're not smarter than I am. And I'll work equally as hard, if not harder than them. So why the hell am I not doing it for myself? And that was really the moment, right? It's enough exposure to say, I got this. And like, if I make a mess, my own damn mess, I gotta go clean it up. Sure. But there is a pride in doing that. Uh, and that was the ultimate leap. I call my first company Slate. 
Um, and it was truly clean slate. I'm doing it on my own terms. Here are what the principles is are. Is that why you named it Slate? It is, because yeah, like Totally, clean, clean slate. slate. My terms. If I fail, it's on me. If it's I succeed, it's on me. Absolutely. I love that. Absolutely. Go and on. that was such a, that was so fun. Like, of course, I had to have like, you know, principles on a paper towel. It has to be a napkin or a paper towel, right, if you're a, a founder. And it was, um, it, it was the hypothesis that there are a lot of other people like me who've been successful in these environments, but they're uninspired. Like, they're not really completely controlling their own destiny. Sure, I had equity. That mattered. But really, was I running it? And I was in environments that it were getting increasingly bigger. And once you do that, you know, you homogenize. Mm -hmm. you say, this is our way. Do it by this process. And yes, there have to be some processes for companies to function. But the risk is, do you beat the individuality out of people that make you remarkably successful. So I'll challenge that. How do you ride that fine line as a CEO? For me, yeah. it was it's really honest to God, like one of the choices that we make culturally is you, we choose to be quirky. And like that's a, that sounds so ridiculous, right? Like if I hire you, choose to be quirky. Sure. Um, but what I'm really saying is be you, be you. And, and I'm giving you permission to come to the table with your ideas. And yes, we have certain standards, but we have like a flexibility to, I think, hear those points of view, knowing that that's really our secret weapon, is all the individuality of thought. And we, we are irreverent as hell, um, you know, in a constructive way behind closed doors, but we walk out locked arms against the world. Mm. And I think that's been really Oof. the secret. Powerful statement. We walk out locked arms against the world. Mm -hmm. That is the secret, that you have a vision so clear, a mission so specific, and the core values that everyone believes in, yeah. that you will lock arms even if you had, you know, you went to, got, got in disagreements behind sure. closed doors. Oh yeah, we do every day. Yeah, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure. So, at some point you're like, okay, the clean slate and yeah. slate was produced. What, what was slate going to be? So slate had um, the only <clears throat> FDA approved long acting testosterone for men. So we had this unique product. We were the one of its kind. Not that there wasn't a very competitive landscape, but different modalities. Prescription or the prescription. prescription? Prescription. And <clears throat> um, and what it was going to be was this hypothesis of like getting together all of these highly successful people, uninspired in their current environment, giving them permission, and let's see what we can do. And in four years, we built the second most prescribed brand among uh, specialists. In four years. Four years. And the other company that was um, out there that beat us had been out for like, you know, it was the market leader, had been out for 20 years. It was a rocket ship ride. Now, I want you to know that rocket ship did not go like this. All right, everyone's it picturing like, that. Oh, until it went Was like there a this? couple times where it was oh, nose down and you thought it's going to no. fucking crash and I'll burn? I'll tell you, the worst is I, um, I got to a place and I really didn't have enough money to grow my salespeople. Like the top tier of physicians in this world loved it. And they were at every medical conference talking about it. And my phone kept ringing with people saying, why haven't you sent a salesperson by? And I'm like, because I don't have one. Like I don't have one in that area. So I needed capital um, to build out this sales force. And I got money from the wrong person. Oh. And it was brutal. Like it was a year of the company is going to go under the ink was not even dry on the contract before our philosophies went this way. They had a very different philosophy on how they treated people, how they compensated people, um, incentivized them, and it was just the cultural mismatch 
nightmare. And I had to live with it for a year because I had a contract. Mama mia. Cindy, we're going to dive deep into that okay. because you really piqued my interest. One thing I talk about on here that it's pretty rare that you and a business partner are going to work out. Yeah. Like there's a better chance of you and a spouse working out, even with a 50% divorce mm -hmm. rate. Mm -hmm. And I still believe of that half that stay together, half of them want out. Mm -hmm. They just don't have the courage to get out. Yeah. Where business partners are concerned, like, it's the kiss of death. Having said that, I've got one business partner in one of my companies, and everyone goes, well, what about Craig? Yeah. He's a unique unicorn. Yeah. He'd probably say the same about yeah, me. Yeah, sure. So that said, do you mind if we dive deep sure, into go. this? So yeah. you're like, holy hell, the company's growing. It started in 2007, mm -hmm. right? The four-year sprint of growth was till 2011 mm -hmm. when you sold. That's right. But now you're in this phase of everybody wants my product. Yes. I don't have enough sales reps to go all these doctors. That's right. I need to borrow money. Yes. Instead of going to a bank or private equity, you yep. went to an individual. Is that what I'm it hearing? It was a company. It was a company. Was build a sales force around it. Got it. Yes. I was going to get to control the, you know, marketing, the education of them yeah. and everything else, but they were actually up putting the capital up front to And would they the get equity in the company? They did. They had a seat on my board and equity. They had a seat. Guys, listen to this. They Brutal. took equity and they had a seat <laughs> on the board and they injected capital, yeah. money yeah. into your business to yeah. grow. And then they created Salesforce who had all the wrong incentives. They Ooh. treated terribly. I love salespeople. I started as a salesperson. Sure. Like if no one's selling anything, there's no business. Um, and that's got to be the core of it. And that really just wasn't their heart. And I, it, it was just such a painful year uh, for me. But I waited. And the minute I could break the contract, I had, I had eight salespeople when we started. Like that was all I could afford. Sure. My eight people were selling their 50 four to one. Oh, wow. Four eight. to one. And they had 50. They had 50. Four to one ratio. Obviously, yes. your eight are incentivized. They believe leader, in the leader. Right. That's right. Just totally different. And so the minute I could cut the contract, I, I like did a massive fax. Doctors' offices still use faxes. Fax to like every prescriber in the country and said, we're it. If you have any questions, call us. And I just started to build. And I Good got somebody you. to come in and, and, and buy them out. But boy, that was painful. There's, I was going to say, there's always a cost to, a, to an action. What was the cost of this, this parting of ways? Oh, Because um, we know what the cost was when you started yeah. the partnership. Like headaches, like, oh my god, the sales numbers are falling. Sure. Um, well, the, the cost was, was pain. I bought them back out. This is my kind of fun. So bought them back. I had to buy them back out, exactly what they put in. Okay. Um, if had they stayed in, they would have made 40x their money. Yo. So I like to. I always think about putting a billboard in their town, like, "Hi, thanks." Remember me? <laughs> From the investor who came in and, and really saved my ass. Yeah. Um, but you know that moment of trying to find them was really um, that was terrifying because sure. the business was going to go under. Sure. Wow. They were wrapping me up with legal bills. Oh, I'm sure. All sorts of stuff. Trying to choke the, yeah, the, yeah. the, the life out of you. In For this. sure. Anyway. All right, so at some point, um, you know, 2009, 10, 11. Can I tell a lesson there? Please. This is a lesson for, for entrepreneurs in that. I think when you're in that moment and you really need that capital to scale, you cannot forget that you're choosing to. And we forget it. Like, and I explain I that, that further. You, you are picking, this is going to be a marriage. They are going to have a say, like you better be really thoughtful. And we approach it like, oh, please, please write me a check. Please, please write me a check. And actually you should be thinking like, do I want to take your check? Cause here's who I am. And I want to make sure that fits. Mm, what a completely different way to look at it. 
Because when we're broke, we're desperate. We're desperate. <laughs> we're desperate. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's easy but to find really someone careful. to give us shelter, but then to be abusive. But be really Kind of careful. aligning it to a relationship because that might be easier for more picture, people to sure. picture. When in reality, mm. be careful who you're picking. No question. You're making that decision. That's a great lesson, powerful lesson. So, you know, the testosterone, is it a cream? I imagine it's a cream or no, injectable? No, it was a pellet. It a goes pellet. just under the surface of the skin, delivers levels for three to four months. Like under the butt? Yeah, like under in, the butt? The, in the hip. Oh, yeah. Ash, Ash over there behind the camera yeah. would love that. Um. Look, I had two big brothers. Like, we could go to the beach. <laughs> Primo's not here. even, like, rub suntan. So the cream, like, creams and gels were the market leader. And, like, I grew up with, with two big brothers. Like, they would never, like, even put suntan lotion sure, on. Sure, let alone, yeah. And I'm like, wait a minute. So this is a product where they can show up a few times a year, set it and forget it. This yeah. product was the old Ron Popeil said it and forget it. I like that. She's a closer. Yes. All right. For the record, guys, Primo's not here. He's in New York eating at the Forest Pizza. One of our videographers, <laughs> who I always pick on Busta's balls. So in his absence, Ash, the Irish, must yeah, pick Ash. up, must pick up the uh, the slack. So that said, all right. So the pellet, uh, the yep. doctors are prescribing this. Uh, sale, what great. kind of what kind of numbers in sales in revenue are we talking about? Hundreds of millions. Hundreds of millions in sales. And are you just like, mama mia, this, this is a rocket ship and I'm barely holding on? Or are you like, I got this, I'm buckled in, I'm good? I think I was having so much fun when I got out of the, the period of pain. And so here was my next ridiculous and radical move. I'm riding the rocket ship, we're doing great. And I get a beat on this science for women. And I'm looking around and my product was one of 26 FDA approved drugs for men okay. for male sexual issues. There's not a single one for women. Not mm. one, despite the fact that we had the science, and like I told you, I was at the Sexual Medicine Society meeting. Yeah. So I'm watching all of this research. Did you see me there? And I, <laughs> and I went, I went out, and um, I went to my board, and I said, "We need to sell this company off because I'm going to take that on." And they were like, "What? <laughs> Wait! Like the company is doing so great? Are you kidding?" Wait, how quickly was that decision made? Like literally, you went to this meeting, you came back, and you're like, hey, this is what so we're I doing? So I went to the meeting where the company that had innovated the science was going to walk away from it. Why? Not on the basis of science, on the basis of a societal narrative, which was so clear to me. The path was going to be longer. The hurdle was going to be higher. When you talk about women and sex, people can lose their mind. Buttholes pucker. Um, lose their mind. And I thought, this is ridiculous. Like, I'm actually looking at brain scan imaging that shows that for 10% of women, something goes off in terms of the balance we need to respond to sexual cues. It's black and white. And yet, what, what are we doing for women? We're saying, oh, have a bubble bath. Hmm. Go on vacation. So dismissive when we know there's a biological basis. 26 times we said men have the right to have a choice. We readily accept that it could be biology, but we're dismissing that for women. It made no sense. Why do you, th why do you think that is? Oh, I think that's just, I really do think that if something goes wrong for a guy, we think biology. If something goes wrong for women, we're like, oh, psychology. And the reality is we're actually doing a disservice to both of us because you know, we're complicated human beings. Sure. We bring all of those things into the bedroom with us. The injustice here was when something was going wrong biologically for women, we were patting her on the shoulder. Hmm. There you go. That'll make you feel bad. That is not right. And I and I spent a year listening to women. I inside of my company Slate, I spent a year, I talked to women who were struggling with this. I was lucky that they shared their most personal um, stories with me. And I thought, by God, like if I'm listening to them. 
then so too is everybody else going to. Like we're making a value judgment on whether or not they deserve to have this. And that makes no sense. And so I made a radical decision, sold off my profitable business and men to take this on. So you sold off scale. Yeah. And you took on what was going to be Slate called and sprout. sprout. I literally, like, I literally got the asset in under Slate. I sprouted out of um, Slate one day before I sold it. Went back to work on You're Sprout nuts. the next day. You I are am nuts. nuts. I love this. I love this. <laughs> I love to work. Hey, by the way, if you ever think like you're you're weird, you're 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 strange, you're nuts, you're unreasonable in your expectations, there are plenty of us, <laughs> us. around. You just have to find us. Yeah. Because I think I'm weird. Missed I it. think I'm nuts. I'm unreasonable in my expectations. I'll create oh, yeah. four other businesses and find the capital, create the capital. Good for you. So did you buy the science from this uh, company, this, these people who didn't want to really do anything with it? So remarkably, I went over, they were a German company, and I think because the reputation I built in this field, I'm, I'm a little bit on pharma, we looked a little different, how we showed up, the way I cared about this issue, that a lot of the biggest researchers in the world vouched for me. They said, if anyone can do it, she'll do it, and they gave it to me. Good for you. And they gave it to me with a, with a promise of payoff. It's got to be win-win. So if I got it done, they got a piece of it. So they had a royalty basically on, on, um, on the sales ultimately. Sure. And I think honestly they were like, sure. Good luck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's never going to get it done. So this is around 2011, that 2012? 2011. 2011. What is the first step when someone's going to take oh, science and make it into a prescription? Yeah. I'm guessing this one's a pill. It's, it's not a, pill. a pellet. It's a daily it's a, pill. That you take orally. Absolutely. Okay. Little pink pill. Okay. And, and by the way, explain to me how it works. What does it do sure. to me or so, if I was a woman? Yeah. So, you know, desire is in the brain. And we need this balance. So when we have sex, we're actually quite animalistic. We sort of shut the brain down to enjoy the moment. And for, again, a, a good number of women, something goes off kilter in that. And like these are the women that say, I'm lying in bed and I'm just still doing my to-do list. And I'm thinking about, they don't actually shut down the part of their brain. What percentage of women? Is that? 10% reported, and I'm going to tell you, I think it's much higher than that. Okay, I was going to ask you, is that? 10% reported. Anecdotally, you think it's higher. I do, but by all the studies, I mean, I think at 10%, it's huge. The, it, this issue for women has the same incidence as ED does for men. Sure. Think about that. That's a $6 billion global category, sure. and we are just getting started talking about this for women. Wowza. So, hmm. yeah. So, it so what do I do? I take it on. Yeah. So it works. Do you want It works on dopamine and serotonin. Okay. So excitement and inhibition, and it works on those um, those two kind of key chemicals in that balance for sexual cues. But but in what way does it accelerate or give you more dopamine hit? So positive on dopamine, so positive for excitement, and then this transient negative on serotonin, which is what inhibits you. Think about how many people are on antidepressants or okay. anti-anxiety meds. Sure. What's the number one side effect? It kills your sex drive. Sex drive. And it's because of the way that it's working, it's actually causing more inhibition. Um, so this has the opposite. It's totally safe to use with those products. We did those studies. Um, but it has a very different pro-sexual effect. And would, would I know Viagra, you're supposed to take an hour or so or two before, yeah. anecdotally, I've heard, Ash, <laughs> uh, that you're supposed to take before, like you can't take it that morning, or I suppose yeah. you can and have sex at night. Yeah. Do you take this before sex? You or daily. Daily, so it's like, a, like it's, multivitamins, you just pop you it, take daily. it daily. You mm -hmm. and you're really just, again, like you're resetting to that level, and as women take it, 
like it's actually a dis it's it's sort of a misnomer that it's called female Viagra by the media because it doesn't work any way the same. Right. And I think it sets up an expectation that's totally wrong for women in terms of desire isn't on demand. Um, and in fact, like what it's doing, and women who respond to the drugs say like, oh, I had a fantasy. I haven't. I can't remember the last time I just had a spontaneous fantasy. And it's some of those things that remind us we are wired biologically to have drive sure. and want sex. And that's what has sort of gone dormant for them. That's fascinating. And so I'm just gonna ask because I'm curious, and if I'm curious, I know the audience is always curious, if we're pumping out dopamines, yeah. Is this work, are those receptor sites getting desensitized over time? Like if I take Adderall every day, I'm gonna to have to take Adderall, more Adderall. Yeah. I've got the ADD issue, right? Yeah, so as a sure. kid, they gave me Ritalin, then they switched me out to Adderall. Sure. So, you know, we, we've done all sorts of studies. What happens if you go off? Do the symptoms come back? Like all of those are looking at it. What is the optimal dose? It's one dose, it's 100 milligrams a day. And, um, and I think the, the reality of this is I think women will come on and off of it depending on sort of life status, relationship status, and, um, and they will withdraw back to symptoms if they come off of it. Yeah, I, I, I hope that answered your question. It does, it does. I will say one thing, I knew what I was, I was thinking. I just like something. to be fully transparent, yeah, which is sure. why I'm asking. One of the things that I'm really proud of is that we studied this medication in 13,000 women. I'm gonna give you context. The average new drug approval in the United States is 760 patients. Mm. We studied this in 13,000. If you compared it to the parallel of Viagra, the blue pill versus the pink pill, um, we had three times as many patients worth of data, and here's where the story got twisted. Um, so Viagra was deemed as having met such an important unmet medical need, it got fast-tracked for approval back in 1998. It went through the FDA in six months so that men could have it. What's, Guess what's how normal? long it took me. Oh shoot, Guess great task. Two years? Six years. Holy smokes. Six years, three times as many patients worth of data. You cannot tell me that we don't have a double standard in medicine. There's an absolute double standard. And a double standard in terms of how much we think sex matters, yeah. if you will, to men versus women. That double standard, and I'm just gonna kinda go off for a moment, that double standard, blue versus pink, let's yeah. just call it sure. that, shows up at the workplace. It does shows up in many places, not just at the FDA with drug approval. Sure. How do you feel about that? As uh, someone who's like dominated in business, yeah. and you do it on your terms. Yeah, there's a reason I wear pink all the time. And pink for me, I like pink. Sure. I've always liked pink. And pink is the, for me, represents the shift from underestimated to unapologetic. Mm. And I think you gotta own who you are I talk to female founders about this all the time, and actually along the way in a totally male-dominated industry, taking on these crazy taboo. Can you imagine me the first time I went in front of a room full of like blue and gray suits to pitch this in my blazing hot pink and talk about female Viagra? You know what? I actually anticipated being underestimated. And once I got to the place where I'm like, this is gonna happen, it became this invitation to surprise people. I was no longer frustrated or like swirling in self-doubt because they weren't so sure when I walked in the room. You knew that was going to happen. I was having happen. so much fun once I was killing them with confidence. Good for you. Good for you. All right, so if it takes six years, I'm doing the math. I mean, this talk about skyrocketing. This thing was a 
I think maybe a faster rocket ship than than Slate. Than Slate, um, about the, about the same timeline. So the German company had had eaten up a little bit of that. When I got the product, I sat down with the FDA. That's what you do. You get a new product, you say, okay, like what do I need to do? These are double blind. Is it a full-on bullshit control. process going through the FDA? Um, it is. Can you say can you say that, or were they like taken off the market? Yeah, uh, I think they probably wouldn't be happy. This is what I think in in terms of the process. It's slow. It's bureaucratic, of course, because it's government. And I think the real risk we have is that we all want the FDA to protect public safety. We want them, if there are absolute watchouts, to say no. But we don't want them to make judgments about whether or not patients can have it. It is absolutely my responsibility to inform the benefits and the risks. But then I believe it is our responsibility, once those are characterized, to turn the decision over to patients and providers. Copy that. So how do you exit out of this company? Okay. How does that so. <laughs> exit come about? I mean, I'm guessing they're just knocking on your door and saying, hey, we want to buy you out? Oh, God, nobody thought I was going to do it. So first I get turned by, down by the FDA. Then I have to fight them, uh, which, by the way, I call that the road less travel to take on the government, but I have 13,000 mm -hmm. women worth of data. Um, then they hold this big public meeting, and they get doctors to weigh in on our data whether or not they would approve it and they voted overwhelmingly yes to approve it. Good for you. And when they did, they made that recommendation to the FDA, but they, I wasn't yet approved. All of a sudden, all the big companies were like, oh my God, she's gonna do it. And so the suitors started um, coming to the doorstep. Okay. And so we had three suitors, uh, one one, and two days after we got the official approval of the drug, we announced that we sold the company for a billion dollars, up front. Billion dollars up front. Up front. How did you feel in that moment? Because um, <laughs> I'm guessing the Slate exit wasn't it, it a was, billion, or was it? Maybe, I don't know. You're half. a badass, so maybe it was... About half, yeah. Okay. Um, so, it, and that one was fun with a royalty stream on that, too. So that one came and went. Like, nobody knew as a private company, sure. never talked about it. But i got to tell you, when it's female Viagra and you take on the government, Nightline comes to your yeah. doorstep. So, and happens? then we sold it for a billion dollars. It became a huge, the day we were approved, we were the biggest news story in the world. Wow. And here's this little company in Raleigh, North Carolina. I had 35 people working for me. Um, and part of my goal was, how do I create the most value per person? Uh, in this organization, and it was, um, the truth is in that moment, I felt like I had done right by all the women who were counting on me. Sure. That I hadn't given up, because there were plenty of moments along the way when I would have liked to pull the covers over my head and give up, and I would go back to my inbox and I would read the letter from a woman who wrote me and said, thank you for letting me know I'm not alone, thank you for taking this on. Wow, those reminders and affirmations yep. to keep fighting. For sure. You had a greater cause, mm -hmm. greater cause. So and then I just went to work the next day. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, like, again. I had more zeros in my bank account, but like I still showed up for work. I tease that I have a, a guy that I work with um, manages my money, and he showed up for a meeting with me not that long ago, and he said, okay, so you drive the same car, you live in the same house, and he looked at me, and he's like, and I'm pretty sure you were wearing that the last time I saw you, so our meeting is done. You know, money, money doesn't change at the core who you are. Yeah. Um, I hope not. Uh, and, uh, and I think that it just becomes this conduit to do real good. I mean, that was the fun of that moment, is the choice now of what was I gonna do with it. So I always say that money is a vehicle to freedom and money is a vehicle to impact. So mm -hmm. where freedom is concerned, Slate was probably the vehicle to yeah. freedom that mm -hmm. you've gotten, mm -hmm. right? And then where, how, how have you done good? How have yeah. you had impact? So I started the pink ceiling. Um, after my exit from Sprout, and the pink ceiling is all about reaching my hand back and getting other women there faster than I got there myself. 
My mission, really simple, I'm gonna make women really fucking rich. Good for you. And I say it unapologetically, because I know when I get them there, they're gonna not only get to invest in the things they wanna see in this world, but they're gonna help other women get there. And look, ten, like head down, building these businesses a decade, I look up and actually, the situation hasn't improved in terms of access to capital. 2% of all venture capital goes to female founders. Like you can't look at that number and not know there's something wrong with that there's equation. Wrong with that. And and there's really a lack of access to mentors. There, this shouldn't be a lonely club for women who've gotten to billion dollar exits. Uh, and so I'm working my hardest to get other women there. And so that's what the pink, pink ceiling does. Yep, and the pink incubator. I have a pink incubator. Pink incubator, how mm -hmm. cute is that? Yeah. I like that. And what is Women on Top right there on your shirt? Women on Top is what I'm all about. <laughs> and it is absolutely in both ways, not only from a, an Addy female Viagra sure. perspective, but also, you know, just about like that real work to put women on top and, and that they have this right to desire being in the C-suite, running their own business, uh, whatever it is, and helping them really put power in their hands to go do it. So let's go back to pink ceiling real quick. How does that, is it a mentorship, advice? Yeah. Like how, how does that work? So it's my money where my mouth is. So I make early, early bets on women. I give them money uh, and they get access to my business team to help get them to launch. Gotcha. And we pick pretty deliberately like those things that we think we can really move the needle. And we're picking things that are not only like breakthrough firsts, uh, but I think they're often catalysts and important conversations we need to have. When it's a taboo, I run in. I've got, at this point, like I've taken on sex and I'm now taking on money, so yeah. all I got next is politics. Amen to but that. But I may stay away we'll from it. We'll be rooting it. on you. Here we go. So uh, we're, we're one of the few, if maybe if not the only show that I know that talks about business yeah. and entrepreneurship where we have almost a 50-50 split of male and female listeners. Awesome. And I love that. And because of that, I know, I can almost even think of the names because, you know, they yeah. DM me. Yeah. I know women are going to be reaching out to you and going, hey, what about my company? So why don't yes. you give us a company or two or three that you've invested in? I you don't have to maybe say their names if you don't want yeah. to. Yeah, no, happy um, to. But, but what does that ideal company look like, that ideal female entrepreneur look like that you're willing to invest in and put your arms around? Yeah, well, look, I'll tell you, if it's the next cupcake shop, don't come to the pinky Bader. And I don't mean that to take away. If you want to go start a business, I am cheering you on. Women are starting more businesses than men these days. But we really do kind of stick to this. The people who are overlooked by the system that are going to need large infusions of cash. So we've got a flushable pregnancy test coming out um, by the end of the year. I think only a woman would have thought of it. Sure. It's awesome. It's biodegradable. Why should 80% of a pregnancy test be plastic? It's crazy. Never mind the discretion conversation. We have a great woman. Um, it's called that's called Leah Diagnostics. I have two women that developed a technology um, called Fathom. It's artificial intelligence. You wear a tiny little almost sticker in the depression of your ankle. It starts to learn how you train. Um, when you start to deviate in movement, it signals you that you may be on the path to injury. And she is like you know a college scholarship athlete Brilliant. who injured. And it ruined her potential professional career. She's solving so a she problem. She solved the problem for her younger self. She's incredible. That has just come onto the market. So we are, you know, we look for these very sort of cutting edge uh, technologies. But I will tell all the women listening, I do answer my DMs. I do know all the women around the country that are looking at this, and I'm happy to to help direct them, even if it's not the right idea for us. Cindy will allow me to tell you here publicly that anything I can do to help yeah, you, your mission, you. your tribe, count me in. Thank you. Um, absolutely count me in. Uh, number two, if somebody wants to connect with you, reach out to you, yeah. how do they find you? So find me on social at Cindy Pink CEO. 
um, and you can go to thepinkceiling.com and you can go through our pitch process right off of the uh, website there. Wonderful. Well, listen, thank you so much for Thanks spending for time with me. us. Guys and gals, thank you so much for watching and listening to The Empire Show. If you got a lot of value from the show, and I know you did, please do me a favor, leave us a five-star review, leave a comment, take a screenshot, share it in your stories, and above all, don't forget to tell your mama. We'll see you later. <laughs>